Love Talk Radio. All right, race fans, y'all know what time it is. It is Race Chat Live. We're live and on the air. Look, waiting for my partner in crime, my co-host, Mr. Taz Taylor, to join us. Man, oh man, we got a lot to talk about and a whole lot more coming up uh, next week. The season has officially kicked off. What, what some uh, great racing that we have had over the last uh, few days. Of course, uh, it all started on, well, I guess, it all started on Wednesday with qualifying. Um, two cars locked in there. And then we had the, uh, the qualifiers, the twin duels on Thursday. Uh, I think Tyler Reddick and Christopher Bell uh, one those, and um, no Hendrick front row this time. So, uh, um, and the qualifying efforts. Of course, the Truck Series race was Friday night, um, and then uh, Xfinity and Cup were both canceled on Saturday and Sunday after a monsoon decided to hit the Daytona Speedway. Uh, so everything was moved to Monday. Of course, uh, the Cup cars ran first. And then the Xfinity Series. We've got a lot of details to that coming up here shortly. But as always, I want to start out. Um, it's disappointing um, as a fan of the sport, knowing that our great American race, called the Great American Race, for a reason, the Daytona 500, is very significant for NASCAR and very significant for the NASCAR fans. Um, this is an event that has been held since 1959. Uh, not much has changed. Um, it is our Super Bowl of racing. I'm not sure when it got coined the Super Bowl of racing, considering that we've been moving longer than the Super Bowl. Uh, the Super Bowl, I believe, very first year was 1962 or 63, if I don't have um, my stats here in front of me. But uh, I do know that uh, the Daytona 500 started before. You know, we've seen great finishes. We've watched uh, the careers of drivers that just couldn't seem to uh, uh, get it. Um, of course, Mark Martin never won a Daytona 500, come close several times. Uh, Tony Stewart never won a Daytona 500. Uh, we watched other drivers like uh, Dale Earnhardt and Daryl Walter, who in 17 and 20 years uh, in their careers before they finally won the Daytona 500, the Great American Race. And once again, I want to call it the Great American Race. Over the last few years, uh, of course, there's been a new crop of drivers come along, and maybe some of the older drivers as well. Maybe the grumbling started there. But, uh, you know, all in all, um, there's been some pretty significant injuries uh, to drivers, I guess, at Super Speedway Racing. Eric McClure, uh is one of those and you know he hit the inside wall in the back stretch of Talladega and you know it hurt him pretty bad uh, but more or less over most of the races that we raced uh, over time uh, drivers have been fine and uh, though they may be sore or whatnot uh, there's been hardly any driver's careers ended at a Daytona Super Speedway or a Talladega Super Speedway. Now, if you want to go back in time, of course, that we can pull up Neil Bonnet, we can pull up uh, Dale Earnhardt. You know, those, those drivers did pass at Daytona. Um, there's been quite a few drivers in the past that have gotten hurt, killed. 
uh, at Talladega. Of course, you know, we go back to Bobby, Bobby uh, Allison being up in the fence in 1988 and tearing down the grandstands. Uh, Carl Edwards up in the fence in 2009 uh, by Brad Keselowski. Um, you know, these have been significant wrecks. Kyle Larson, uh, remember when he was in the 32 car, I believe it was uh, at the time, called Nationwide. Uh, the Nationwide Series, um, which is now the Xfinity Series. Uh, the car was ripped and mangled. Of course, uh, Jeff Bodine, you know, another driver that uh, I know that we have seen a spectacular wreck at. But we've seen spectacular wrecks at any kind of racetrack, right? Who can forget the Watkins Glen wreck where Jeff Gordon uh, blocks off the middle of the lane? Who remembers that uh, Kurt Busch had his career ended at Pocono, right? Our Dale Jr.'s... Uh, Wide open hit at Kansas that, uh, you know, ultimately killed his career. What I'm trying to say, race fans, is that these days we have these drivers who have no problem um, voicing their disdain for uh, super speedway racing. And, you know, I I could say it probably started back with Tony Stewart. Um, Of course, Dale Earnhardt even, you know. I remember him mentioning back in 2020, or maybe it was uh, um, not 2020. I'm sorry, 2000. Maybe it was 1999 when they made a rule change, and the cars were a little bit different. And he was like, "Well, they took uh, they took racing right out of right out of NASCAR." Um, so we've heard drivers rumble and complain over the years. There's a certain group of drivers that are basically the leaders of our sport right now, and it is disheartening to hear a Christopher Bell or Kyle Larson complain and and say that they don't like this style racing. What they don't understand is they are cutting the throats of the very fans that have kept this sport alive. When you go to Talladega Super Speedway and you go to Daytona Super Speedway, those are two different areas of life compared to any other NASCAR track. And it's the reason why most of them are always sold out. The fans love it. And when you have certain drivers who continuously complain about not only just the style of racing, but they say that they're not safe and whatnot. Look, we had some spectacular wrecks. Everybody was fine. Sure, Ryan Priest last year, that was, that was concerning. We had not seen a driver get beat up that bad in a cockpit. Uh, since the days of Davey Allison and Rusty Wallace and Ricky Rudd. Um, so, you know, NASCAR come in and they made some changes, right? But all in all, these cars are safe. And though the wrecks are spectacular, the drivers seem to drag this on that they don't like to race here. And, and I've, I've said this time and time before, this is not the first time uh, that we have ranted on this a particular subject. Um, this has come up quite a few times over the years, and uh, you know, um, it's 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 obviously here we are again. This is the beginning. First of all, we're having a hard time, right, getting into speed weeks and stuff. Everything's changed over the last few years. It's really hard to get the momentum going for the race fans. You've taken away the the clash, and you moved it to. Uh, you know, California, two weeks before the start of the season. Now we're starting on Wednesday, where we used to be at the track the whole week. 
there's hardly the the uh, anticipation for the Great American Race that, that that we've seen in years past. The last thing this sport needs is the ambassadors of the sport continuously complaining about racing here. Um, you know. I'm not going through. Um, huh, so uh, Taz Taylor's getting a, a, a situation um, where he's not being able to uh, to dial in. We'll see if we can't uh, give him a call here in just a second. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you know th- that's that's the rant. Um, you know, drivers need to uh, respect the fact that these fans pay a lot of money. Uh, to go to these certain races, and there's not but four of them on the schedule every year uh, now that they've taken the clash away. If you count the duels, I guess that's five and six, but, you know, those are just heat races, guys. Um, And it's just sad that uh, um, every time I go to sit down and watch one of these magnificent races that really bring in the viewerships and the fans and the parking lots are full, um... You know, it, it's disheartening, disheartening to hear my favorite drivers uh, complain and dislike the racetrack that we're racing at. And, and in any other sport, I don't know if you're able to come in and actually um, make those kind of complaints. Um, just imagine uh, a football player saying that he doesn't want to play in a certain stadium. You know, he would be booed out of the stadium if he – literally said, I don't like going to MetLife because uh, uh, because of the turf. You know, everybody understands that the turf there at MetLife Stadium has issues. But, you know, um, if a ball player were to say that and then show up to MetLife, uh, you can only imagine the reaction from the fans. So as fans from us, we need to let these drivers know that we do love this style of racing and we do love the sport and we want to see these guys. I mean, how can you take the Daytona 500 out of Daytona, right? So it's it's very clear, drivers. It's very clear that it's very important that we go and race these places. And uh, if anybody uh, can't uh, see that, then I'm not sure because it's literally the Daytona 500 is what put NASCAR on the map. And, you, you know, uh, the, the, it seems to me that over the years, the Daytona, Daytona 500, certain drivers just don't think of it as the big shebang that it really is. I mean, you know, you, William Byron just become a Daytona 500 champion. They keep track of how many times Hendrick Motorsports has won uh, at Daytona, right? Nine times. So it's, it's obviously a significant feat. And, and, and maybe this is more the subject of the crown jewels um, that we don't, we're not um, as big on our Crown Jewel races as we have been uh, in the past. And so that's maybe another issue, another uh, discussion we can have later on. Uh, let's see if we can try to get uh, Taz Taylor in on the network here. Hold on just a second. Um, Taz, send me your number. All right, we're going to try to get Taz Taylor on the uh, call line. Well, no, I don't have that. 
invite guest host, host PN, guest call in. Mm, goodness gracious. Well, it's going to be hard to do a show. Uh, let's see. Let me see. Here. Well, the dead air is going to be a. This is one of those uh, situations where. Um, okay, here we go. Just hold on, real quick. Call. We tried that. Um, sorry about the dead air. Oh. Hello. All right, all right. Let me tell you something. Oh my so, goodness uh, gracious! If, if, if there's a will, there's a way. Can you hear me, my my co-host and friend? I can hear you, kind sir. All right. Let's hope that we are on the air. If we can get somebody to give us a sound check and make sure that we are both uh, on the air, maybe somebody there can uh, check and see, maybe a Jared or anybody like that. Just want to make sure that we're getting through. Um, Craig, somebody, y'all check and make sure we are both on the air. I think we are. So. I hope we are. Oh, so yeah, a little bit, a little bit of thinking there, and hopefully we're back in the groove. So basically, Tad Taylor, for the last fifteen minutes, uh, I have ranted about drivers who don't appreciate and who don't like racing the Daytona Five Hundred. And this is a race that was built. You know, this is the race that built NASCAR, right? And uh, there seems to be right, the yeah. top of drivers that have a disdain or, uh, you know, uh, un, unloving feelings towards racing the great American race and, and, and Talladega. You know, it's the four tracks, four races a year that we basically get here now. And it seems like every time that we come up to one of these races, you got to hear freaking Kyle Larson or, or, or uh, you know, a Christopher Bell bellyache and Ryan Blaine bellyaching uh, that they don't like this form of racing, but yet this is a crown jewel. I mean, this is what made NASCAR. I've never known a football player that says, hey, I don't like to go to MetLife Stadium because I might blow my knee out because the the turf there is is torturous. If that player were to say that, do you know what would happen the moment that he walked into MetLife Stadium? He he would be benched. They would boo the shit out of him. They would boo him to eternity, especially if he was on the team or maybe on the opposite team. Either way, 
the fans would never allow this player to play a single down without throwing the the kitchen sink, you know, basically the copper out of the out of the stadium at this player, right? So how in the world do we have the the upper salons, the best racers in our uh, form of racing, complaining about racing the great American race? It's called the great American race. It has been around since 1959. People want to compare this to the Super Bowl, Taz Taylor. We were before the Super Bowl. We beat the Super Bowl by three or four years. So technically, the Super Bowl is is a playoff of, of NASCAR. No, I don't mean, okay, maybe I stress that one a little bit. But Taz, say to me say, here, the, the, the listeners have already heard this rant, and of course now they've heard four more minutes of it. So Taz, what is your take <laughs> on, on where we stand with these drivers who bitch think- and complain about racing super speedway races? Well, first of all, we have we now have six super speedway races thanks to Atlanta. But anyway, I I don't understand what the drivers are really like complaining about. I mean, in ter- I could understand them complaining if the safety aspect of these next gen cars um, were still to like how it was in day one. Pretty much, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I could understand. Like back when Kurt Busch at Pocono would, he all you would do is hit the wall just right, and boom, you have a concussion, and the guy's still not cleared to drive a race car. You, and then they improved on that. Alex Bowman, same deal. They still improved. Trying to think what else they improved on. They looked at, what was it? I think it was last year. I don't remember which Daytona race it was, but it was where Kyle Door's side door was somehow cracked open enough that it cracked the roll cage or whatever. They improved on that. Um, they improved on the cars taking more of an impact instead of the driver taking the hit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the drivers at this point are just complaining over nothing. Because, I mean, if you take away super speedway racing, you're taking one of the most iconic races in the world. And I don't mean in just the NASCAR. I mean the entire motorsports world. I mean, it's known so much that when you call in celebrities like, say, The Rock, to do the Grand Marshal, or you call in somebody like, oh, shoot, who are they supposed to have? Mm. And they, um, Rowdy Burns. They supposed to have, they hit, they've had Rowdy Burns. You've also um, Pitbull. supposed to get somebody like, yeah, you got Pitbull involved. Who's the guy who was supposed to wave the green flag this year? It never did. Oh, I can't think of his name. But whoever I can't for some reason I can't think of the team. Yeah, man, we've had John Cena, Adam Sandler. We've had some of the best of the best show up for this race to give the. Shoot, the... even Donald Trump, even Donald Trump has shown up when mm-hmm. he was president for the Daytona 500. I mean, this is iconic. It's so iconic that you have celebrities from different worlds who have 
pretty much no right of being into NASCAR and come in and when they when you and The Rock literally did interview after interview after interview of what he believes in the Daytona 500. And he goes, listen, he goes, you can feel the energy. He goes, he goes as soon as you walk in, you know the energy in this place. It is nonstop until the checkered flag falls. And even then, you know the energy is still going. Like, it's that big of a deal. And I'm sure the Indy 500 is on that same spectacle, too. And IndyCar is less popular than NASCAR. Right. I mean, let, let, let's go. Let, let's hit the stat of the day real quick. All right? Because this is how significant the great American race is and how significant NASCAR is, not just here but globally, right? And, and without this race, particularly the Daytona 500, we would not have this type of geographic, right? Uh, with the international, hold on, with the international series in Mexico, Mexico series, Canada, Penny series, and across Europe, Wheeling as well, Cup Series broadcasts are available in 195 countries and in 29 languages. 29 languages. NASCAR's global reach is felt far and wide. That popularity stems from the great American race, the Daytona 500, just as IndyCar. Their significant race of the year isn't Barber's Motor Speedway in Alabama. It's it's not Coda, right? It's Indy, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, right? And so these are significant races. And to have, you know, just the, uh, you know, uh, before the race even starts, well, you know, I don't like racing here, but, you know, look, I mean, I don't understand it. That's literally slapping the face of everybody that bought a ticket for this race. I know it started with Tony Stewart and Ryan mm-hmm. Newman. And, you know, so, it's funny. You know what else is funny? I, I know I, I hate to interrupt you, but I, it just came up in my head. You know what else is funny about this whole complaining deal of super speedway racing? Go back to the Gen, I want to say it's the Gen 6, the car right before the next gen. Think about that and before. Was there any complaining of super speedway racing? If there was, you barely heard about it. You know, I, I'm going to say this, and then we can go on. I think I don't want, the next-gen car has been... Like I said, I could understand if we were still in the aspect of the safety circumstances of this next-gen car have not been changed in what we are now going into the third year of it. It's They can pull the mess that it's a dangerous track or whatnot. They tried that in 1969. We've been racing in Talladega ever since, right? What this really comes down to is when you have the upper salons of racers that – feel like they're entitled to these easy-to-do mile-and-a-half speedways, half-mile speedways and whatnot, they go into those racetracks dominating, right? I mean, these are drivers, especially like Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, you know, these guys have top-notch equipment. When they get to a place like Daytona or Talladega, guess what? Their equipment is no more inferior than the man who's running last. And I guarantee you Michael McDowell is not going to get up there and bash Daytona. That guy is happier than hell 
that he has a Daytona 500 victory under him. I guarantee you Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will not stand on a podium and bash super speedway racing. You know why? Because he loves the fact that he will forever be entitled as a Daytona 500 champion. Look at Trevor Bain, a one-hit wonder. Do you think he complains about the Daytona 500? Not at all. So when we have crybabies like Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, and all these other drivers that got their nose stuck up in the freaking air, and they start bitching and complaining about the great American race, well, guess what? Go race freaking F1. Go race down there. Go race where only one damn company, one car, one team is going to have a, a dominant race card. Everybody else is just going to follow in second place because that's the real reason. They are no longer, they no longer carry a competitive advantage when they show up to the super speedway races. Argue that, Taz Taylor. And I know you can. You know, well, think of it this way. If you take, let's say NASCAR takes away super speedway races. So that takes away Daytona, Talladega, and Atlanta. Fantastic. Let's go to another motorsport. And the guys that are mainly complaining are sprint car drivers. Okay. What are their, I don't want to say they're super speedways because they're really not. But what are the fast tracks for sprint cars? Knoxville, Williams Grove. If you are to take that away, that's basically going to the sprint car world saying, oh, let's take away Knoxville out of this. But that's where the Knoxville Nationals are. Right. Take away, take away Williams Grove. That's where 90% of the Pennsylvania Posse races. Right. Right. You're taking you away big, iconic tracks with high super speeds. You don't have, have Tiger Woods bitching about Augusta, Taz Taylor, right? I mean, and, and anybody that goes to Augusta, it's a beautiful golf course. As for shooting the course, it's treacherous. Like, it's it's no way. And, any, you know, you got to be a golf fan to understand. Some of these places they go to, you and I would be there all day. I promise you, and some of these golf players make it look easy, but it's because the course is not necessarily – a good golf course. That's fine. Some of these places that they go to, they have to try a little bit harder. My main problem is when you have a race that's significant that pays for the season and you have the you have the, the best-named drivers who vocally speak out that they don't like the style of racing, I have an issue with that, Taz Taylor. And we can move on. Yeah, because, I mean, any, it's, any other? it's a little ridiculous. You can't. You can't sit here and say, we hate super speedway racing and it needs to go or it needs to change. It's never going to change. It's been there for years and decades before you were even born. Shoot, it's been there since before I was even born. I'm sure it was there before you were even born, Chris. What makes you think NASCAR is going to change it now when it's been a yearly tradition and and NASCAR wouldn't be what it is if super speedways were not on the schedule? And you wouldn't, and if, and again, to the sprint car reference, you wouldn't have iconic sprint car tracks without, or iconic sprint car races without those iconic sprint car tracks. So if you're freaking complaining and moaning over high speed races where big accidents can happen in NASCAR, maybe you should look at the other form of motorsport that you also race and think about the same thing too. And maybe you ought to think twice. Yeah, maybe they should do. Maybe they should gain a little bit more control of their drivers and uh, send them fines 
if they sit there. You know, I mean, Dale Jr. lost the championship because he said he said shit on national television, right? I mean, the guy lost a championship because of that. But yet nowadays, NASCAR less drivers just talk bad and crap about the sport, and and it's just it needs to come to an end. Um, quick update: Of course, the Truck Series was won by Nick Sanchez. The Xfinity race was won by Austin Dillon, who has now won the race three times in a row. Uh, big deal That's there, for Austin Dill. That's very and, impressive, man. And I don't. Here, and what's even more impressive, Chris, is that he was involved in a wreck and walked away with like very little damage, and yet still won the race. Right. And of course, uh, I told you guys a few years ago, Willie B. You know, he was going to be a superstar. Um, he was a late bloomer, like uh, two, three years in the Cup Series. I think last year was finally his breakout year. At, uh, uh, the the I'd been William Bland. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Right. Oh Jesus Christ! Um, that's that. That once again brings up the topic that I don't feel like these drivers respect the crown jewels for what they are. It's like they have zero appreciation for the sport. But I'll digress at this point in time because I'm more, I'm more filtered over, <laughs> filtered. I'm more pissed over what Mr. Hendrick had to say was, you know, it was a perfect script. It was a perfect script. Have we not heard this on football for the last, uh, you know, the, the last four months of the season? How the NFL is scripted, and and you know. Basically, it was going to be Baltimore and San Francisco in the Super Bowl, and by God, we were mighty close to it. I feel like Patrick Mahomes, or maybe NFL, changed the script uh, with the Taylor Swift. You know, all that's a big conspiracy. But then you have, then you have like in victory lane. Well, it went just as scripted. Now, what do you mean, Rick Hendrick? What what, what are you trying to say? Like you got a bigger motor in that thing? I mean, I mean William Byron wrecked the whole damn field two times, Taz Taylor. Is, yeah, but, was that in the script? Well, here's the thing, though, Chris. Look at the last few Daytona 500s. Who's always been the storyline in the last few Daytona 500s? And I'm not necessarily saying the races, but if it's either in the duels or in qualifying, who's been the storyline in, in one of those two events of the Daytona 500? Hendrick. And in this year, in this year, who was the storyline for qualifying? Penske in front row motorsports because mm-hmm. it was a front. It was a Ford front row, mm-hmm. first ever pole for Team Penske, first ever pole for Joey Logano for the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. There's your main storyline. Perfect, fantastic. McDowell, first ever front row start for the Daytona 500. Another storyline. Boom, fantastic. We go on to the duels. Who dominated there? The Toyotas, the ones that did, that took a crapshoot on qualifying. The Toyotas got in to sweep the duels. That was the storyline for the duels. Great, mm-hmm. fantastic. What's the missing piece that's, that's been sitting there? Everyone's saying, no, Chevy's the underdog. Chevy's the underdog. Okay, who's the key piece of Chevy in NASCAR? Hello, Hendrick Motorsports. Mm-hmm. You, you, for the last number of years, Hendrick has always made some sort of history at Daytona 500. And for, to go this long into the into the Daytona Speed Weekend. Without them being the storyline. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and so if anybody can recollect and remember, they were just talking about the Holly J. Earl. Uh, uh, yeah, what is it, the Earl? The Holly J. Earl Trophy, right? Uh, and it was that's a GM product. 
They're literally giving away a trophy that was designed by GM. And here here goes William Byron. And look, I, I, I swear, and I've been argued by a couple of people, Taz Taylor, have we not been here before? And, and the last time that we were there when we were coming to the white flag, did they not say that it technically – Starts when the wreck starts, not when the light comes on, because NASCAR gives the discretion that it takes a second to turn the light on. So, in all technicality, the the caution actually comes out when the wreck starts, but yet the wreck started just before the start finish line. So, in reality, we still had uh, a two lap shootout to go. Tell me where tell me where I've gotten this confused over the last few times that this situation has come up. Am I confused, Taz, or are we just playing the rules as we go? So, so when they explain the incident of when the car, where Shafin and Sindrick were spinning or whatever, I could understand them saying, well, being it was green and they were off the racing service and they were going to be completely clear of it. I couldn't understand that point of keeping it green. I'm fine with that. Now, when they said when Sindrick's car came up off into the racing service, that's when the yellow light came on. Okay. Still fine with that, in my opinion. However, how can you be the moment of caution? Because this is where the debate comes in. Is it because it took them quite a while to turn that freaking light, that yellow light on? So I'm trying to figure out, is it when the green light gets turned off or when the caution light gets turned on? Because there's a difference. Because right. you, you can hold that caution until it, it's convenient for NASCAR. I'm because sorry. if you look at it, if you look at it frame by frame, when the green light is turned off, William Byron is the leader by, by basically a tire, if anything. Um, but if you look at when the yellow, actual yellow light turns on, Bowman's the leader. So I'm a little confused here. Which one is it? Is it when the green light turns off or the caution light turns on? Right, right. And I understand that the wreck was at the start-finish line, so you technically could not – bring them back around, but did you not hear what I just said? The wreck was at the start-finish line. It wasn't after the start-finish line. So, technically, you know, it was the front of the pack cars. Look, NASCAR got their, got the deal in. They got the script in. You know, they, they were finally able to give the win to a deserving team, you know, I guess to help them calm the bitching because you're not going to see a Kyle Larson or Christopher Bell or some of these guys ever in victory lane because they hate the racing so damn much so they won't they don't they don't they don't try hard enough i guess but you know willie b i guess you know he is the next golden child for nascar it worked out good for him of course you know hey i wasn't mad i kind of suspected something like that was going to happen that's why i picked alex bowman great pick and you know for all these cars wrecked i look over there at the points man i tell you it's still a tight field i, I figured i'd have some separation between most of these guys. Yeah, it's, My poor son, boy, he only scored two points. And I'd be damned, Gillian was up front for most of the race. Todd Gillian was having a great race. And then, and then you know, was that old terminology? Well, Shit happens. <laughs> well, I'm too, well, I'm not going to lie, Chris. I mean, I knew – I figured when the stages were happening I, and I saw Kyle Busch happening there, I'm uh, – I was like, I sat there, I got nervous because I'm sitting here thinking, all right, Kyle Busch, she scored me some extra points, but at the same time looking at there, I'm like, the field's got to be smart. Like, this is the small checker flag that don't mean a whole lot. Focus on the bigger checker flag. Don't ruin it now. 
And I'm surprised as well as they finished both of those stages, they did not become as ugly as they were probably going to be. And then um, towards the end, after that last pit cycle, when things started getting a little heavy and dicey and three wide, at one point I'm looking at Kyle Busch and I'm like, oh, shoot, he's in the middle of this. Uh, and then I'm like, I'm like, he's gonna, something's going to happen to where he's just going to get involved. And then I two seconds, or I looked away for like a couple corners, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Wait a minute, where did Kyle Busch go?" I'm like, he was just in this mess, and and literally a lap later after, yeah, literally a lap later after I said that, that's when the big one happened, and I realized Kyle Busch literally like lollygagged in the back because he read that stuff like two laps ahead. Like, if you guys want to tangle and get involved in the big one, I'm out. You guys have at it. Taz Taylor, it was reported that Kyle Busch in that wreck literally come to a grinding stop on the oh, racetrack yeah, to allow uh, cars to get around uh, to, to before from the wrecking cars. So he literally stopped on the racetrack until the wreck was over and then continued on. That, my yeah, friend, that, was a smart move. That was the move of the race. I mean, granted – He's been in the Cubs series for basically 20 years now, or at least, or at least that. He's 0 for 19 uh, on his Daytona 500 starts because you have to remember, 2015 he did not make a start because of that injury. I think it was 2015, anyways. Yeah. Um. So 0 for 19, which means next year, Kyle Busch, if you're still in with RCR, it's your time to shine. RCR in 20 years and 20 attempts you know, kind of resemble something. I'm not I'm not giving up on the conspiracy here. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, NASCAR doesn't do favors for Kyle Busch. That's for sure. So we well, had a NASCAR lot of... Wants a, if NASCAR wants a storyline and Hendrick's not involved in a storyline yet, I can see it. But if Hendrick's involved in a storyline, that's going to... Well, I mean... I mean, the race is going to not favor Hendrick. Let, let's let's play it out that way. Because remember, if Hendrick plays out the storyline in qualifying and du- or duels, they don't have the storyline in the race. And it works vice versa. I mean, look at this here. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I know that there's going to be somebody listening to the show. They're going to say, Chris, yeah, you're talking like you just don't even like NASCAR. You've spent the last 35, 40 minutes ranting about how much you don't like this and don't like that. I've got one more rant. To do and, and basically we've we've talked about this before. Can we please get this sport prominent enough to not have to take a commercial break in the middle of racing? I mean, you know, we come back from break and here's Kyle Busch riding on uh, sparking everywhere. Obviously, uh, during the pit stop, his tire didn't get hooked on correctly and he had to limp it around. But we wouldn't have known that by watching the broadcast. Of course, if you're listening to MRN Radio. You were you were very informed, and I appreciate MRN Radio, and um, I advise people who have a hard time listening uh, to the crap on TV uh, to turn on the old radio, pause the television, and line them up and simultaneously, right? Uh, that's just an awesome way to do things. You might be a couple of minutes behind on Twitter or something like that, but, hey, if you want a better uh, broadcast, definitely turn on the radio side and watch the visuals on your TV. I will say this. I will say this. I think I think the Fox broadcast team, like Mike Joy, Harvick, Clint Boyer, 
I think those three are a great natural trio for a commentary team for TV. And I honestly can't say anything negative since Kevin Harvick's been there. I feel like Kevin Harvick has been that perfect gelling piece that's been missing for the last few years. It's not just departure. I agree. I said that. I said, man, this thing's flowing. It reminds me of the DW days. Uh, because you have the guys the, the, willing to talk and willing to analyze. What was it? The Mike Joy. Hold on. It was like the Mike Joy, DW, and Larry McReynolds day. Like yes. you have DW. Like you had Larry McReynolds, who's the crew chief and stuff like that. You had DW, who was a race car driver, but he also had that funny, goofy personality type of thing. And yeah. then you have Mike Joy, who's who's the basic uh, head head commentator, head the history you know, feature. lead guy. Yeah. And and with Clint Boyer, with Clint Boyer, you have the goofiness and who has you know race car driver experience type of deal. Um, and Kevin Harvick, yeah, he's not a crew chief either, but he's he's a race car driver. Well, here's the difference between Clint Boyer and Kevin Harvick. Harvick, yes, has that funny sense of personality. He fits Clint Boyer very well, and especially on the race car driver side of things too, because those two can go back and forth. Harvick knows things about history. And another thing Harvick knows more about than the other two commentators is this next-gen car. Clint Boyer don't know Jack squat. Well, and that's... And I'm not saying that's Clint Boyer's fault, to none of Clint Boyer's fault at all, because he never raced one. Again, not to his fault, because he retired when he was ready. However, with Kevin Harvick having driving the next-gen car for not only for like two years, he has plenty of knowledge to give. So yeah. when you sit, when they, but here's the thing though, when you sit, I mean, Larry McReynolds has that knowledge too as the, as like the TV crew chief or whatever, who can do like the in-car breakdown and stuff. But wow. the thing that Kevin Harvick has the best knowledge of is the next gen car too, because he's actually driven it. And I feel like when it comes down to how the car drives and this and that, Kevin Harvick's the brilliant guy for it. And I feel like he just flows naturally. And it could be because he's done some Xfinity uh, broadcasts the last couple of years, too, that kind of leaned him in. So, but yeah, I, I, think, I, think, all I, think, all. I think in terms of outside of the commentary team, Fox needs some work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, definitely on their uh, Xfinity series as well. Those guys weren't even in an actual booth at Daytona. They were at a studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, um, uh, so uh, you know, that's they're they're gonna have no wonder they're losing the Xfinity series. Don't. Um, but uh, so uh, yeah. I, I, let's go to something positive real quick. Let's talk about some positive things. Of course, I thought the racing was great. NASCAR did a great job of going ahead and lining things up uh, for that Monday doubleheader. Um, the, the fans were there in the stands. That was great to see. You're always kind of um, nervous that uh, you won't have the response from the fans. Some won't be able to stay. But most of us that travel to NASCAR tracks, we understand we may have to take an emergency Monday. It's just part of it. Um, and, and I've been on the side of having to come home, too. Uh, the year Bubble Wallace won, uh, we left that Sunday night and uh, just had to watch it at home the next day because we had something else that we had to take care of. Uh, so it happens, but uh, all in all, the stands looked full. 
Um, and, man, what about some of the awesome paint jobs? I swear, uh, my favorite paint job, maybe you have one uh, that you'd like to share as well, but my favorite uh, paint scheme uh, of the weekend had to be the 51 car of Justin Haley. Uh, he had that joker looking like the old Rowdy Burns Exxon machine. What did you do? Do you have a certain uh, paint scheme uh, that uh, that really just uh, was an eye popper? I have another one, but I want to wait and see if you use uh, this one as well. It was in the Xfinity series, if that kind of give you an, uh, a hint of who I'm speaking about. Taz Taylor, did you have a favorite paint scheme that you've seen this weekend? Uh, I don't know. There, there was, there was a couple, quite a few that stuck out. Um, I did like Brad Keselowski's uh, Castro car, but they've come out with some wicked uh, schemes in the last few years, and usually with NAS, and they usually do with NASCAR anyway. Um, training. Some of them are kind of original. We ideally pretty much seen before. Uh, just trying to look back quick on the, on the schemes this past week. I How about Todd Gillen's number thirty six? Todd Gillen's car looks pretty. Ooh, Todd Gillian did have a sharp race car. He did, like uh, the chrome numbers with the black and the red. Oh my God, that there, thing popped there at is, it. There is one scheme that impressed me. It wasn't my favorite, but it. it it impressed me because if you go back the last few years, this team has always had terrible half-and-half schemes, and that's GTG Doherty Racing. They've always had terrible half-and-half schemes. It, it just doesn't blend. And thank you, thank you, Cottonelle, for, for being the main sponsor and saying, no, we're not doing half and half. You're doing it all over the car. And, oh, my God, thank you, GTG designer. You did something right. Well, and a lot of that comes down to Procter & Gamble because Procter & Gamble is the main sponsor that's on that race car. And if you haven't found out, uh, America, does no long, they no longer penalize monopoly companies. Uh, Procter & Gamble basically owns everything. So um, that's why you see this fluent array of uh, different sponsors slapped on top of each other. Uh, it's not different sponsors. It's just Procter & Gamble advertising their different products. So, yeah, Cottonelle kicked it off. Um, you know, when, when you hear all these uh, uh, commercials and stuff, you know, about the uh, good toilet paper, it doesn't get any better than Cottonelle. I promise you, Cottonelle Chandler is Smith, <laughs> Chandler Smith. In the 81, that was fantastic. That was, I mean, too. Was, is that his full-time ride? Is that his number full-time? Because that, that's, just, uh, that's not a typical number. And that thing was sharp, baby. Ooh, I liked it. Um, Let me find out quick. Cause I don't um, – I want to say no, he's not, but I could be wrong there, Chris. Oh, boy. Um, so how about let's talk let's talk about real quick about you know one of the one of the things I mentioned in our thread earlier was it looked like the golden horseshoe now has become a black hat and then I'm talking yes, about Chandler. Yes, Chandler Smith is full time eighty one car this year. Okay, all right, that's good. And that's with JCG. I mean, I mean with uh, JGR. Yep, JGR. Okay, so they've replaced the fifty four, I guess, with and the eighty one. Chris, I want to. I want to hear on this quick. So we know that uh, SVG is 
under contract with Trackhouse, but he's running for Colleg in the Xfinity Series full time. One thing I give props to Colleg for is that they are letting SVG run the Trackhouse number font yeah, instead of I, I, telling him he has to run Colleg. I give props to Colleg for that one. Right. Yeah, no doubt uh, because he is a he is a Trackhouse driver. Um, I did not notice that font on the 71, knowing that Zane Smith is a paid track house driver, but in Yeah, Zane equipment. Smith has the Spire font. That was odd. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was uh, showing a little bit of favoritism to one and not the other. Uh, Daniel Suarez, of course, didn't have a very good weekend. Ross Chastain is I don't give up tour. Uh, is still <laughs> going. Um, you know, uh Corey LaJoy had a good weekend, had a good uh, had a good race. But let's get back to the Golden Horseshoe has become a black cat, Taz Taylor. Jimmy Johnson, a lot of emphasis was put on Jimmy Johnson. Of course, this is his first weekend of being in a non-Chevrolet, right, uh, in NASCAR. Of course, he raced for Honda uh, in uh, 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 the IndyCar Indy series. Car. Yeah, so Kenny Wallace come out with a video talking a little bit about Jimmy Johnson. I don't know if you caught it or not. I'll I definitely have to share it to you. No, I haven't got I wish I'd have shared it to you earlier because it was really some disturbing things. Basically, Kenny Wallace stated that Jimmy Johnson up and quit Hendrick and that he basically was tired of the toxic North Carolina uh, atmosphere and moved out west. Uh, to California, then eventually quit NASCAR altogether, walked away, and went and did something else, went to IndyCar. Now he's living overseas, and he's bought into uh, Legacy Motorsports, a.k.a. Uh, uh, what, was it? Uh, what was it called this last time? Petty GMS oh. or something like that. It, um, it was, was going to be Petty GMS, or it was going to be GMS Racing, going to be their own thing, then they teamed up with Petty, and it was Petty GMS. Now it's Legacy Motor Club since Jimmy Johnson got involved. And now that Legacy Motor Club is not only a NASCAR team, but it expanded over to uh, the Electric Series, uh, the Extreme E Series, which is kind of like a desert form of, like, rally cross or rally racing. Um, I did look into that, and honestly, if you like, if you're open to different motorsports, like say rallycross or just rally in general, right? Open your mind to it and give it a shot. I pers- I saw a highlight. Jimmy Johnson from has roots from that area, so that's not a big surprise there. Go ahead, Tess. I mean, if you're if you're open minded to it, um, I checked out the highlights because they had two rounds, and I think it was in Saudi Arabia this weekend. Um, I, I thought they put on some pretty good racing. I liked it. I mean, it's a unique format. They run it. Um, if you do your research and then watch it, you'll probably under, watch the highlights at least. You'll understand it a little bit. But it's but I like it. That um, money's good. Yeah, it's a lot. It's plentiful. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of money overseas right now. Uh, being dumped into American sports and whatnot. Uh, back to what Kenny Wallace was saying about Jimmy Johnson, though, Taz, and this is where I wish I would have shared this with you beforehand because you would have a little bit better knowledge of what I'm speaking about here. Um, basically, Jimmy Johnson 
found out that he was kind of jealous of, of Jeff Gordon and of Denny Hamlin and Brad Keselowski. And uh, so he, he did the only thing he could do, and that was search for the perfect team to join. But this is where he kind of contradicts himself because Kenny Wallace also said that in order for these NASCAR drivers who are retired to continue living the lavish lifestyle uh, that they're accustomed to, uh, which is jumping in jets and flying all over the world and whatnot, having homes in L.A. and New York and all this other, that they have to literally put their assets into ownership somewhere so that they can continue uh, to live the lavish lifestyle. And I think that's where Kenny Wallace is a little bit off. Um, the one thing that I don't believe Jimmy Johnson uh, is is, um, is a greedy, money-hungry guy. I think that uh, maybe he did feel uh, like the – the, the kid, the, the redheaded stepchild at Hendrick there at the end, knowing how Jeff Gordon was treated throughout his career, that he was a, a lifetime uh, member of the Hendrick family. And Jimmy Johnson, right. seven freaking championships to Hendrick Motorsports, never was the face of the franchise, according to having Jeff Gordon sell it, right? And Jeff Gordon, he has quite a few skeletons in his closet. When he talks about his career, he never – uh, tries to mention the fact that he was a Ford development driver for Bill Davis and was supposed to go cup racing with Bill Davis before being swooped in and Ray Evernham, uh, him and Ray Evernham being uh, talked into coming over uh, and signing a deal with Hendrick Motorsports. Of course, Ray Evernham was, uh, he was from uh, the Alan Kowicki race team as well. They got rid of him there. Uh, we found out who Ray Burnham was years later. But let's stay on the topic of Jimmy Johnson real quick because yeah. this, this is how the black – this is how the golden horseshoe has turned into a black cat. We watched so, Jimmy Johnson struggle all weekend, Taz Taylor. We've seen the racing struggle last year. This year, we watched from the door. I mean, the man – I, I almost feel like J.J. Yaley took a hard right to give it to Jimmy Johnson. I mean, that's what it looked like in the duels. Yeah. J.J. Yaley was racing. He was going to be in the race. Jimmy Johnson was going to go home. And then yeah. J.J. veered right. Let me tell you, I I felt the roller coaster of emotions during the during the night of the duels with Jimmy Johnson. I mean, I have been a Johnson fan for quite some time. I would say... When I became a fan of Jimmy Johnson, it was his sophomore year in the Cup Series. Um, and I became a fan of him since, stayed a fan of him. Uh, do I have a favorite driver since he left? Uh, I have two, but I'm not like a, big, I'm not like a huge, huge fan um, as I've been with Jimmy Johnson. Um, but anyways, so... When the one thing that when it came to the duel of the Daytona 500, and let me tell you, qualifying, I sat there and I saw that Johnson didn't make it in on speed. I was like, huh, well, let's try the duel. And I listened to another podcast. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Thursday morning before I had uh, started thinking of possible scenarios of where Johnson needs to be, this, that, blah, 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 and the duel. And, and when I was listening to that podcast, 
uh, Chris, you might be, you, you might know what I'm talking about, the NASCAR Weekly podcast on YouTube with the four YouTubers and stuff like that. Huh? Um, one of them came up with an, an interesting stat that Johnson in the dual races has not fared very well. Uh, and it's the one thing that Johnson has not done was finish the, the Daytona duels. Um, and I was like, wow, that's one stat. And I literally sat there nervous. And I'm like, okay, so what's Jimmy Johnson's scenario? And I saw that it was him and one other open car, which was JJ or JJ Yaley. I just go, man, he's just got to finish ahead of this guy. That's all he's got to do. And watching the dual race, and I see him go from back to the front, and I'm like, Johnson, I don't. I mean, I know you're going to beat, beat the 44, but we don't need to put a freaking butt whoop, and we still have plenty of racing to go. And I'm sitting there like, and I'm like, well, if that's what he wants to do, then I guess, but let's chill out a bit. And then when that one incident happened and he got involved, I'm like, oh, no, there's the Daytona 500. We're in, Johnson's not going now. And they said, oh, he walked away with, like, minimal damage, good to go. I'm like, well... He has a shot, and the laps are ticking down. He is not yet past Yaley. Oh, boy. That was one roller coaster of emotions. And, and when he when it came around to the final corner, Yaley thought he had a run. He was going to go on the outside, and Johnson said, no, I'm just going to follow my line. Nobody to help Yaley. I'm like, Johnson, you better freaking go. Yaley, yeah. you better fall down. And I saw Yaley go, try to come down and see if he could slow down Johnson. Didn't work. Oh boy, I went from a nervous wreck to celebrating like he, uh, Johnson won the damn race. <laughs> and, and here we were, you know, at the start of the Daytona 500 thinking there is a chance that a part-time semi-retired driver who's now a Cup Series owner has the chance to put himself back in victory lane and align all the stars back right again to, to silence all the haters and the doubters and fit minutes, not even 15 minutes into the race. What was it? Was it 10 minutes into the race? His race is over. His race is over. Yeah, and, 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 and it was, you know, it, he wasn't even anywhere near the wreck. He was just so far in the back that he had nowhere to go, and the car slid up right there in front of him and ruined his chances. And, and it's just at that point in time, I thought, this is the black hat of the golden shoe. This is this is this is as as the world turns as as time goes through the the hourglass. This is the Jimmy Johnson that we have now, and he's you know he's been at the right place at the right time so many times in his career, but I don't I just don't know if he's going to be able to muster um, a, a, a decent uh, finish because this is like his sixth race and. I'm serious, Taz Taylor. It's sad. We haven't seen him competitive not a single time. You know, I, I, I just always said, okay, IndyCar was tough for him. Even though we've sent over uh, Kurt Busch and, you know, Mario Andretti raced them both. I think the tracks were more oval back then than they are now. Uh, but but it, anyhow. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, put, I've put some realism into this. Uh, when Johnson came back to be an owner in NASCAR, then he said he was going to run like five or six races. Um, I've put I've put in the realism of 
This is not the Jimmy Johnson we've seen 10 years ago where he's in the prime. This is not him. Um, he, he's, basically, he's basically a top 20 car, or should be a top 20 car. Let's put it that way. And I said, and literally Monday, if you look back in the chat there, Chris, on the day of the Daytona 500, Jared asked in their chat, he goes, what do you, how do you feel about Jimmy Johnson's chances? I go, if Jimmy Johnson walks away this race with a top 20 finish, that would be a win. I go, if he gets anything further than that, that's like two wins right there. It's, and this is coming from a big Jimmy Johnson fan. The magic is gone. Facing, I hate to tell you, just, my friend. Who's just, just facing the realization of it. The magic is gone. And, you know, I just don't want to see this. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, you know, the Jimmy Johnson that I remember, I didn't like. He won all the races. He, he you know, he was uh, very bland in his victory lane speeches. He was, uh, he just wasn't, you know, he was so vanilla. You know, as any athlete gets older, and I will call my drivers an athlete. Anybody that has a problem with that probably doesn't need to listen to the show. Um, my favorite athletes, of course, I've always had my favorites. And then I've had the guy that stuck around long enough for me to become likable to him. So Tom Brady, you know, uh, uh, was a perfect example, you know, being a Peyton Manning fan. Uh, Tom Brady stuck around long enough and beat my guy enough times and actually out, out, you know, out, uh, lived his career by several years. I eventually got on the Tom uh, Brady bandwagon. Daryl Waltrip, you know, I was from that age. I was, you know, I remember Daryl being hated. And then all of a sudden he showed up on uh, that, that, uh, uh, that, that uh, show on TNN, the Winston or whatever it was like that. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, people love Daryl Walter, you know. Um, I remember Daryl Walter being hated. I remember Dale Earnhardt being hated. But it seems like all the people that hated Dale Earnhardt didn't hate him after he got killed because I don't ever hear uh, but a few, my father, one of them, who will still say I couldn't stand Dale Earnhardt. Most of the people are how wonderful he was and how much they loved him. And, um, you know, I've, I've I've always kind of put just as much emphasis in the teams that I didn't like. I'm not I'm a Yankee hater. You know, I love to hate the Yankees. They're a good ball club. You know, Jimmy Johnson was kind of in that level. But now I want to like Jimmy and I want to be a fan of Jimmy because I see that his heart is like mine. He doesn't know what else to do. All he knows is to race. All he knows is to be involved and to do something. And he's yet to give up on that, even though he sucks. After being so damn thing, good for so long, to suck so bad now has to do something to him emotionally, Taz Taylor. It has to thing, have some kind of psychological effect on this man. The one thing I do like that Johnson has done since leaving the Cup Series in 2020 is that, yeah, we can argue 21 and 22 where he went to basically run IndyCar for uh, two full-time seasons. I mean, literally, if you think about IndyCar season, they only run, like, what, three, four ovals a year? So when it came down to twenty, the 2021 season, when he ran IndyCar there, 
and said, oh, I'm running just the road course, road and street courses. So basically he ran like 90% of the season. Uh, and in 2022, he just said, well, I'll just add four races to my calendar. So, I mean, he basically – so one thing that kind of – it hurt in a way, and I can understand where John was coming from saying, well, I want to race less than 36 races and be gone for like 30, 40 weeks of the year. I get that. And IndyCar runs a lot less, but he was still running full-time. So it kind of hurting him in a way. But I feel like with him coming into the ownership role, only running a select five, six races in a sport that he made his, made his own name in, um, and then just putting his feet wet into new things like IMSA, like running the Le Mans 24, um, running like a couple endurance races that he probably never would have done uh, if he's seen NASCAR full-time. And also with him having this ownership role and him running now this Extreme E uh, electric rally series, um, it's giving him an expansion of what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Um, And the plus side with this, extreme e series and what johnson's doing with the cup schedule it's basically him saying i'm only running i'm only gone like 10 15 weeks or i'm on the road 10 15 weeks a year i mean i literally do reduce my schedule in half to do what i want to do not what and, and i feel like he's he's doing something that i feel like some of the older drivers have never really done. I mean, look at Jeff Gordon. When he stopped Cup Series racing, he literally stopped. Um, Dale Jr., He when he stopped racing, yeah, he stopped and take care of his health. But when he when he was able to come back, he's doing a few late model races now. Yeah, he's flirting. A little bit of flirting has now turned into a... Uh, uh, <laughs> A side piece, I would say. Uh. So I mean, so I mean, I feel like, so I feel like Junior, <laughs> Dale Jr. That one race a year then turned into about what five, six late model races that he's racing now in the car series. So, well, you yeah. get what I'm saying. Like Dale Jr. and Jimmy Johnson are like the perfect pieces of them saying, "Look, we don't want to be on the road as much for right. these races, but we get to do for the Cup Series." but we get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. Because not only are we owners of race teams, but we're at the point of our lives, like we're trying to capitalize on things that we never were basically allowed to do or never could do when running full-time in cup series. Right. right, right. It's a 40, it's a 42 week a year job. Uh, you get 10 weeks off basically. And I, and, and you probably, you get a little bit more than that. I just know, of our own schedule, right? Uh, we, and, we start at the beginning of the race season. We end at the end of the race season, and we get about 10 and, weeks uh, to, to oh, enjoy Tuesday. I'm not, like, <laughs> and I'm not sitting here hating. I mean, Bob, look at Bobby Labonte. Labonte's doing pretty much the same thing. Um, when Ryan Newman was doing SRX and Modified, he was pretty much doing the same thing. Right. And, and I'm not putting any heat or neglect on – guys like Ken Schrader or 
Kenny Wallace, who left NASCAR, and then all of a sudden they're doing like 50, 60, 70, probably like 80 races a year just on dirt modifieds. But they have to understand that in the dirt racing world, it's different from the big motorsports world. Like dirt racing, you can go to a local dirt track on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You just did three races in one go. Um, Whereas Johnson, as an owner, he can sit there and say, well, I want to do five, six cup races. I want to have a team in IndyCar and maybe run uh, two races there. Dale Jr., he owns the Xfinity teams. He runs one, maybe two Xfinity races a year. And then he goes, says, all right, I'm running like five late model races. Right. Like they're just chilling out and doing things, what they want to do, when they want to do, and they're having fun with it. It's not like uh, Kenny Walsh or Ken Schrader, they're running 60 to 80 dirt races a year trying to compete for dirt car points. But if you suck, then keep it parked. Okay, because the one thing about Dale Jr. is that each, even though he's raced one race a year for the last six or seven years, he's been competitive in those races. We've seen six races from Jimmy Johnson, and he has sucked at every single one of them. It's time to hang it up. I don't want to remember Jimmy Johnson sucking. I want to remember him as a champion. And he sticks around long enough. He should have went. He should have took the opportunity and went over to uh, NHRA and raced Tony Stewart this year. That's what he should have done. He should have said, you know what? I- I'm going to do the trifecta, right? I've raced NASCAR, I went to IndyCar, now I'm going to go to NHRA. And he should have, and he should have went over there and raced Tony Stewart the whole year, and uh, we would add that to his resume, because that would be pretty impressive. Coming back to the Cup Series and sucking, that's just, that's just not Jimmy Johnson, man. That's a seven-time champion. I remember, you know, it was 1984, I believe, the last time, that Richard Petty won a race. By 1992, everybody was ready for Richard Petty to be gone because it wasn't just since 1984 that he won a race. It was the last time that he had won a race. He was really kind of – he wasn't that great from about 1981 forward. So he spent 11 years in the Cup Series being kind of crappy. And people wanted to know when he was going to hang it up because it was sad to see – that he just didn't understand that he wasn't good anymore. And it was, you know, he was basically taking up space. And, you know, the Cars movie really says it. When Kyle Petty says that, uh, you know, the sport tells you when your time is done, you don't get to do that. If you're the king, you get to do that. I feel like somehow Jimmy Johnson's was ripped away from him, and that's why we're seeing the psychological breakdown of this championship-caliber racer who had a storied career now wasting his way in the duck shafts of, um, you know, trying to resurrect what, Jimmy? What are you trying to resurrect? Go to the truck series and pay for these guys, dump a bunch of money into a little team over there, and just be their freaking driver five races out of the year and win, and win. Go out there and kick their asses. If you want to go to, if you want to, go to Daytona, go to Daytona in the truck series and kick those kids' asses and show them what a seven-time champion's all about. Don't waste your way and give the, the, the mystique, the wonderful driving career that he had as a driver, don't waste it away running 30 seconds, five laps down. It's just sad. 
and uh, and I've, I've you know we can move on, um, uh, and we should move on. I think we're getting closer to time to end the show. Um, I do think that you had a certain uh, question here this week, Taz, and uh, we're going to ask our listeners um, to hopefully when uh, this comes out on the break, uh, the pod uh, drop, the, uh, the 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 clip script, um, maybe you guys can get involved and answer this question as well. If you were a Cup Series team owner, <clears throat> name two current full-time Cup Series drivers, you would want on your team, and what manufacturer would you choose? So that's pretty simple. So, um, so, yeah, this no. is, so, so I want to make a note here. So this was basically this is for um, this is a possible video type of idea um, for the for the One Ten Nation. Uh, YouTube channel or whatever, uh-huh. but right. I wanted, but um, I would like to hear fan feedback. But this was primarily this was primarily for the 110 Nation staff. Um, oh, because I was, but I would like I I wouldn't mind seeing fan feedback too because, I mean I want to see the combinations that kind of fly. But this is yeah. primarily for us 110 Nation staff. Um, but I mean. I mean, again, we can also throw the answer out there just to see the different colorful combinations that people come up with. Um, but basically, put if you were to have a Cup Series team, uh, say you start out with two cars, and you can go to any manufacturer and pick up any driver you want. Which means if you want to pick, if you want to run a Chevy. If you want to run with Chevy and you want to pick up a guy who's been loyal to Toyota for the last 20 years, like, say, Denny Hamlin, for instance, or you want Denny Hamlin to race for your team, go right ahead. Like, pick up your dream team, what manufacturer. Um, I, I'd like to hear your answer, Chris. I'm qu- kind of quite interested in that. I think I'm probably going to blow your mind. And I, I, I've had to just, you know, there's been a monopoly of get, of names. Um, that has crossed my mind. Um, you know, if, you know, you just want to make sure that you've got a good combo. You want to make sure um, that one team doesn't outdo the other. You need to, you need to make sure that your team's strong for a long time. So you kind of got to have an up-and-comer versus a wily veteran. But you don't want your veteran too old because the last thing you want to do is two or three years from now having to uh, revamp uh, the garage as you let, uh, as you send one off to the rocking chair. So. I think I've I think I've basically narrowed it down, and and I believe both of their careers are kind of uh, similarly in, in length. In other words, they've been around about as long as each other. One found a little bit more success uh, than the other. One of them is a very um, unique driver, a very uh, strong wheel driver, a, a driver that seems to carry this mojo like I don't give a. And I think you know already where I'm going. I'm going to go with the yep. watermelon man. Of course, I want Ross Chastain on my team. You know why? Because he don't give up. That's why. And I think that I, I think as a driver, I need that because he doesn't give up. Who's in the other garage either, right? He's not going to be. He's not going to be mind screwed uh, because I've got another top tier driver sitting over in the uh, in the in the other bay, right? 
And so I'm going to go with Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain has paved his way through the sport. But I'm always the guy looking for the deal, right? It's one of my favorite uh, things about baseball, especially my favorite team, the Braves. They always went out there and they, they grabbed a Julio Franco or, um, uh, uh, you know, a Michael Tucker or Keith Lockhart or here recently uh, uh, the um, – uh, what was the guy that made it rain? Oh, my goodness gracious, the third baseman. I can't think of his name. Josh, Josh, Josh Donaldson, right? Uh, so they, what they've always done is they, they took a guy who they said was probably washed up or wasn't good enough, and, boy, they made a season out of him. Fred McGriff, obviously, you know, another name that pops in there. Um, Marquise Grissom. Uh, anyway, Eric, where's that Jones boy, Jones? Oh. Okay, and okay. I talked about him for a long time, Taz Taylor. You shouldn't be surprised at all. He has been my project child for the last four seasons. And I really feel true? like this true? I could build a franchise with Ross Chastain and Eric Jones in the Bay. Why? Because Eric Jones has had to overcome. He's been fired before. He's been run off. And he's also been the leader of the organization. And so now he's had both ends of it. Ross Chastain, he's had a career similar as well. So if I put both of these guys in the same garage, Taz Taylor, I think I've got myself a healthy championship caliber team. Eric Jones, Ross Chastain, put them on the side of the door. Let's give them some sponsorship, build them a race car, because, baby, it's going to be four power up underneath that damn hood. Four and power? And ain't no way I'm going with anything less. If I want to run good at Daytona, son, I got to have a four power plan. It's four, four performance, first on race. All right. Um, I'll give mine quick because we're coming up to a lot. Uh, last 10 minutes of the show. So um, I had a few drivers circled and then basically I kind of uh, written off some of the circle drivers I had because I figured as much um, when we asked the rest of the 110 Nation staff this question, I know there's going to be certain drivers coming off the board um, just because there's, they like that driver that much, or that is their favorite driver. So I wrote off some drivers, and I'll name a few. Kyle Larson was one of them, so I wrote him off. So he's not on my team, shockingly enough. Um, I wrote off Kyle Busch because that's Mr. CJ's guy. Um, I wrote off Ross Chastain because that is Craig's guy, and I'm a little su- and I'm kind kind of surprised, not a whole lot, but kind of surprised that you took him there. Um, and then I started looking at a couple underdogs and this and that, but I thought of on the same young driver type of deal. And I looked right at a guy who needs that breakout year. Um, and I think, I think in the next year, if he doesn't do it this year, it's going to happen in the next year or two. And that is none other than the guy who's driving for Denny Hamlin right now, Tyler Reddick. Um, I feel like he's got a lot of potential. He's got a lot of potential. Um, A lot of the mile-and-a-half tracks favor his style of racing, running the outside line, finding different lines that work for him, get around. Um, He's a road course kind of driver, 
Um, super speedways, I know he's got some work to do. Um, in short tracks, again, some work to do, but that's okay. He's a young driver. We can develop. We can work on it. That's fine. And then I try to look at possible veteran uh, experience, let's say, um, someone that can help Reddick propel into a better super speedway, uh, short track type of racer. And again, I had to write off Kyle Busch. Um, I wrote off uh, quite a few, but I think there is one guy that could literally help Reddick in a few of the aspects just to make him a good star. And I, and I believe this driver may, he may have five, maybe 10 years left in him. And that's okay. We'll start with that. And that I have to go with Brad Keselowski. I mean, look what he's done with Chris Busher. Yeah. I, you know, I know I Taz, I almost feel like, you 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 figured that I was going to choose Brett Keselowski. I almost know that you knew in the back of my mind Brett Keselowski would be my – the only – really, Taz Taylor, it's a perfect pick because you're talking about a kid who um, struggled in his beginning of his career. He caught the lucky break at Junior Motorsports. He thought that he was going to be in line to drive for Hendrick Motorsports only to have that rug pulled out from underneath him. He goes to Penske, brings Penske his very first championship ever. He hires his best friend to come work for him and then gets fired and kicked out of the kicked out of the can. Told to go kick rocks by Penske. Huh? And then went over to RFK and has resurged them from the inner depths of hell. That is a great pick. I trust me. But the one downside that I played into this all was where I said I didn't want to go down the road a couple of years and have to revamp the garage. So I like your pick, uh, but for my preference, Brad Keselowski, the reason why I didn't pick him was, first of all, I think most of the fans would have figured that I would pick Brad Keselowski because, of course, I am a Ford guy, uh, but also uh, because of his veteran leadership and whatnot. But I'm going to stick with my I don't give tour. Guy Ross Chastain, not my favorite driver, but definitely the driver that I would seek out to hire uh, if I was starting a race team. So great now, pick, I did, I did. Now I do want to point out, did have guys like Joey Logano. Um, I did have Joey Logano like, is not that, a good team player though. That's hold on, the problem. Hold, uh, that's I, I. I had Joey Logano. I had Denny Hamlin, and I even had where is the name oh and i even had alex bowman my concerns on the alex bowman deal was was uh staying 100 percent healthy for a whole year injuries injuries um so so that was where i threw off threw off there hamlin um he's i feel like hamlin's gonna play more mr owner than mr driver um, but, and plus, if I win a championship, I'm sorry, Benny Hamlin's not going to get me the big championship I'm looking for. Um, so you and, want to start a race team with Ryan Stone Cowboy? 
Oh, good God, no. Don't, don't, no, 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 no. <laughs> he was the last person on my shelf. <laughs> I thought Ty Dillon was going to be one of those guys. You know, the guy just never caught a lucky break. But, no. Uh, look, they, it, you know, you can pick any of these guys. It would be good picks. I think Denny Hamlin and what he's doing for 23-11, Mar- Michael Jordan would not be in the position that he's in right now. When you look at you look at NASCAR owners that have come into the sport. Most of them have been unsuccessful. Very few become elite. Very, very few. And and the Jordan team, has, Michael Jordan can bank his success that he's had so far at 23-11 on the leadership of Denny Hamlin. Anybody that wants to take that away from Denny Hamlin, then kiss my earth uh, because Denny has brought that leadership. He's gone out. He's filled the garage. He went and found a driver. And in and, and, and a controversy, still landed what would be your number one pick in a draft board if you were going to go out and seek uh, the future franchise, the future of your franchise. Um, Taz, we've spent a lot of time on this subject. Look, the 110 Nation family, get your two picks in. We want to post it. Comments down below on the YouTube side. Uh, when this is broken into get- a clip or our normal, we are running out of time. And, Taz Taylor, I know you got your hot picks. You put a lot of time oh, yeah. into this. You put a lot of time into this. I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't seen what you have yet. I haven't seen your hand, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have this certain driver that's picked as what could be probably a favorite for this event, then I don't know what you've been watching the last two years. All right. Well, but let's see. Anyway, Corey LaJoy, own your badasses to beat here this well, week. Let's let's find out, Chris. So I did something I have not yet. So, uh, yeah, let's put the question off the side. We'll start pushing our 110 Nation staff and see what they have for answers. And they can't pick our own drivers. So I want to see the different combinations fly. Anyway, to our hot picks, Atlanta, I threw out something that you never thought I would have done, and that's throw out the overall stat sheet. I threw it out the window. Why? Because this is a new Atlanta. I had to look back at the last four races individually and see where my strong points were for the hot picks. And for my favorites, I have Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Ryan Blaney. For my contenders list, I have Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, and Corey LaJoy. For the underdogs, I have Todd Gillen, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Mr. Rhinestone Cowboy, Austin Dillon. Tad, I missed the very first one. What was it? What were the? What were your one? My favorite? three favorites. My three favorites were Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Ryan Blaney. Uh-huh. Okay. So I can see the. I can see that. So, you know, Ryan Blaney's had so, a lot of success so, so far. Chase Elliott, so Chase Elliott, while he has one less Atlanta start than most of these current drivers, um, his three starts have been – or his three finishes have been the top 15 finish with two of those being inside the top 10, and one of those was a win. Um, he was he had a sixth, a first, and a 13th. Um and which basically of active current cup drivers right now is the best average finish in the last four races. 
Uh, William Byron, um, while his average finish doesn't speak for much, William Byron has basically wrote the definition of checkers or wreckers. He's won the last two of the four Atlanta races, um, including the last Atlanta trip we made uh, in 2022. Ryan Blaney, however, has been basically Mr. Consistent. Um, despite a 17th place showing in, in the first ever Atlanta Super Speedway race, he has yet to finish outside the top 10, resulting in 5th, 7th, and ninth place finishes. Joey, Joey Logano, I've listed as a contender. Yes, he has won here at the New Atlanta, but he has a 9th place finish, a 26th place finish, a win, and a 17th place finish. I feel like he's been all over the charts with um, with Atlanta. Corey LaJoy, if he follows this trend he's got with Atlanta, this Atlanta race, he's going to finish well because the first trip to Atlanta in 2020, let's go over 2022, Corey LaJoy. Um, shoot, I lost where his stat sheet went. All right here. Corey LaJoy, 2022, finished fifth in the first Atlanta trip, 21st in the second trip. In 2023, the first trip, he finished fourth. Second trip, he finished 31st. I'm on to a trend here. He seems to do better in the first Atlanta visit. Yep. So, killing it. Chris, want to help fill out the stat sheet while you have a few minutes? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, um, I think that uh, the front row motorsports cars are going to be strong here. We always see them strong at the typical super speedway races. I'm just not willing. It may be the similar style racing in Atlanta, but it's definitely not super speedway racing. I think it's the type of racing, though, that we need to to move towards even at these mile-and-a-half, two-mile speedways. Um, but I'll have a lot of people argue with me about that. Um, but uh, obviously, Michael McDowell should be a threat at one of these places. Uh, Todd Gillian, maybe not so much, maybe so. Todd's father, um, David, and, and even Butch, they were hella uh, um, super speedway racers. Uh, David, um, of course, I believe, had a second-place finish at the Daytona 500. Um, so, uh, you know, Todd's definitely going to be fast at, one, at, at this racetrack. Uh, so, you know, somewhere or another, one of these front row guys has got to be put on that list. And uh, So, yeah. I have Yolen as an underdog. I can put McDowell as a contender. Um, it seems fair enough as far as last. I mean, his best finish was the last Atlanta trip, and that was a fourth-place finish. Other than that, yeah. he's, finished, he's finished anywhere between 15th and 25th. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure some damages or something had had to do with that. Uh, it just there is there is two drivers that can easily argue for favorites here. Um, yeah. And Chris, in our last topic, we both mentioned these drivers. Ross Chastain. No. No. Chastain's a contender. Oh. But he's not. He can't be considered a favorite. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I don't have the list right here in front of me. I'm talking about Eric Jones and uh, Brad Keselowski. Of course, BK. Of course. Eric Jones 
has of all of all drivers that have four Atlanta starts in the last four races, Eric Jones has the best average finish of active cup drivers that have ran all four past Atlanta races with a nine point three. That's an interesting stat. Ryan Blaney is pretty close to it with a nine point five. Or or Ryan Blaney has a 9.5, and Brad Keselowski also has a 9.5. Let me mention with Brad Keselowski, his last two Atlanta races have gone second and sixth. Yep. Um, So those two drivers should be on the favorite list, given what's there. Right, right. I, I can go with that. Obviously, we're not going to put Kyle Larson on this list. We can scratch him. I was thinking about Kyle Busch. And, uh, yes, you know, he, that's he, a contender. Yeah, that's so a contender. A, right. Know, all right, let's go over. So, Atlanta, from the first Atlanta race to the to the last Atlanta race, this is her, this are his finishes, 33rd, 20th, 10th, 5th. He's improving. Yeah, I'm here. So Kyle Busch, easy contender with his yeah. with his uh, improving finishes. Well, I'm just trying to go um, down the Chevy board. Obviously, uh, Martin Truex Jr. is not any good at places like this, but you know he could be a contender at any point in time. Um, uh, you know, Austin Cendrick, Harrison Burton, you got to scratch them off. You know, Chris Buescher maybe, but it feels like we're piling too many of the same teams. In on this list. Um, well, we got but, uh, what about Bubba Wallace? I think Bubba Wallace needs some credit here, man. Well, we do have underdogs left to fill, and I feel like Bubba Wallace can be a good underdog for this one. Um, he has shown top 15 strengths uh, at this track with two top 15 finishes. So I, I can be, I'm down with Bubba Wallace. And then one last underdog, um, Chase Briscoe. I have to go with, and I'm staying in the Toyota camp. Um, I'm going across the river to Joe Gibbs Racing. I'm going Ty Gibbs. I'm feeling Whoa. Ty Gibbs. Yeah. Uh, despite despite a 34th place finish in the second Atlanta race last year, the race before that he scored a top ten. Ooh, a big top ten for the pacifier kid. So I mean, we've got some huggies. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, he he does have a bit of flash there. Yeah, flash in the pan. Uh, so I don't know, man. Is that is our list full? Our it list seems is like there's full. one more driver out there that we just are, we just not giving any credit to right now. All right. Well, we got a few minutes. What do you got? Well, I don't know. I just I just I just felt like it. I just feel like there's one that we're missing there. You know. Uh, um. Can't really say. I don't. I don't know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. If you're thinking, no. if you're thinking Denny Hamlin, he's more of like an underdog. He's like the Martin Truex Jr. of Talladega and Daytona. 
How about Justin Haley? Easy underdog. I'll replace him with Ty Gibbs. Yeah, that sounds good. Justin Healy in four Atlanta finishes has is 11th, 7th, 22nd, and 8th. Oh, three top tens. Two top tens. Almost three. Okay, 11th. Okay, that's fine. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that'll do it. Um, if you got anything that you want to add to that, you can leave that as well in the comment section. If you're just as damn confused as I am because you don't have a list to look at, but Taz Taylor does, uh, you can add that into the comments as well. Taz Taylor, I need a damn list to look at, so I don't name them same names over and over again. I'll uh, I'll once once I have my once Chris I have my Butcher got list, no I'll... respect in that segment. Chris Butcher got no respect. He's a possible person to be thrown in there. <laughs> but uh, you know what, Chris? We always do this every week. We we mention drivers, and there's drivers we just don't. And that's just not out of disrespect. It's just that we have to get something out there. Yeah. And I'll and then as for the list, I'll send it to you personally once I have the starter list done. All righty. Well, Taz Taylor. It seems to be that we're in full form. We have stretched it out. We made a show about it. Hopefully, uh, through that little uh, brief three or four minutes of silence when I was trying to get you uh, on the telephone, hopefully uh, they will skip over that area and get into the good stuff. Uh, Maybe my rant was a little bit too long, especially when I had to redo my rant once you got on (laughs) Uh, but it, but if they survived any of that, I think that they found themselves to uh, enjoy the show here tonight. We want to thank you guys uh, for listening to the show. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday night. Make sure that if you're in the pool that uh, you dry off. No, uh, if you're in the NASCAR pool, uh, make sure you submit your picks. I did request. I do, I do want to put air my grievance. I did put in a request uh, that we move the opening time up a little bit because uh, – we have certain people that uh, are still young, and they don't get up before 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, so, But uh, I see that that was ignored, so I'll, I'll, I'll definitely uh, comply to the rules. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, you know, just no love for those who sleep late. Uh, make sure you uh, – you know what? Here's my suggestion. Put in your pick the night before and just schedule the time for it to hit, and then it doesn't matter, right? So if you're having a tough time like Luke – getting in your picks, just schedule a pick. Just schedule an email and go ahead and make your pick. And, hell, think about the next three weeks who you would feel to be your favorite and just schedule that email. That's all you got to do. So it makes your life a little bit easier. Maybe that was some advice to give. But, uh, Taz Taylor, take us to the house, man. And also to help do the email part, too, there are some people that set an alarm as well to get the email just in case of them forgetting. I know there's a few people that set alarms to do that as well. So schedule or schedule an email or schedule yourself an alarm and do it. Um, yeah, a couple little tidbits there. Anyways, want to thank everyone for listening to Race Chat Live tonight here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, if you ever want to listen to any of our shows, whether if it's live or uh, not live past recording type deal. Listen to places like Spotify or iHeartRadio or Google Podcasts. Basically, any podcast platform we're on, or you can think of, we're more than likely on. 
Just search the 110 Nation Sports, and you'll find us, our show. You'll find Mr. CJ and Mario with the 110 Nation Sports shows on Wednesday nights. Uh, soon you'll start hearing Jared with the Safety to Success shows on Thursdays. Uh, you'll hear the Closers sports shows on Sunday nights, sometimes Mondays, depending on uh, how the sports schedules go. And hopefully we'll hear the exclusive uh, shows once again uh, on Monday nights as well. Uh, be sure to tune in or subscribe to the YouTube channel. You'll get YouTube shorts of all the shows, like certain clips that happen. Um, you can also find other additional content. Hopefully get other additional content soon on there, or if not soon, it'll be sometime this year. We are, some of us are trying to plan it out. I know we have some busy lives on that and to make it work. Um, we also have Facebook pages. Make sure you like our Facebook pages as well. Race Chat Live and the 110 Nation Sports. And we want to say thank you to everyone who's participating in the NASCAR pool and continue to uh, participate as well. It's nice to have uh, us staff engage with the fans in some sort of way uh, and continue to grow on that as well. With that being said, we'll see you next Tuesday night as we talk over Atlanta and preview the next race, which will be, I believe, Las Vegas to start the West Coast Swing. And with that being said, this has been the Caution Flag of Racing Radio. Chris Crane, I'm the Tasmanian Double Flaggers, Taz Taylor, saying good night. We'll see you all next week. Shout out to the production manager, Ms. Lee Reed. Uh, congratulations on your new home. Hopefully you'll enjoy it, and hopefully we'll have you back on the airwaves soon enough. Good night, everybody. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.